today we are in the second week of the three-part series, three-chapter book, this little book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. And today we're going to talk about what do you do when God doesn't. So, um, but first I want to ask you, um, are you a fan of court shows? Do you guys like court shows? Any, anybody? Like Law and Order? Like, don't, don't, you know, any of those type of things? Judge Judy? I don't know. We have some cheering in the back. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, court shows and investigators, little crime stuff, that kind of thing. There's one thing I've always wanted to say, though not hopefully in a real courtroom. I've always wanted to say, like, in all those scenes, there's always somebody that says, Your Honor, I object, right? Your Honor, I object. Objection, Your Honor. Like, like I've always, like, wanted to say that. Like, not in a real setting, but in a fake one, in a show setting. But, um, so, so just to, to kind of capitalize on that, in, in the middle of this book called Habakkuk, um, Habakkuk was one of, the, one of 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament, um, it, it's actually written in what's called judicial language. There's a sense of, like, Habakkuk, this man who's a human being just like us, um, he's objecting to God. He's objecting to God. So he's kind of saying, like, Your Honor, I object. And, um, and just a little bit of review. There's, I know we have some new faces, some familiar faces, uh, some people. You can also catch the uh, last week's sermon online at any point. You can check that out and kind of catch up here. But I'm going to try to catch you up in just a couple minutes. And, and so we look back. Uh, the, this book of Habakkuk was written about 600 B.C. or so, so 2,600 years ago, which was a while. And um, there was this point in Israel's history, the history of, of the people of God, who God came to this prophet, this man who he called to rise up and kind of speak the truth. You know, we think of prophets as kind of foretelling the future. That's part of it, but a lot of it's foretelling, kind of telling truthfully. And so God tells this man named Habakkuk, tell your people I'm going to destroy them because they are wicked. And actually, how he's going to allow that to happen is through some very, very evil people called the Babylonians. The Babylonians. And chances are, Habakkuk, this guy, said when God came to him, well, you know, you're right. Like, we they kind of deserve this in a way that at the time, the Israelites were not really following God. They were kind of going off and doing their own way. But that little twist of the Babylonians, how God was going to raise up and allow the Babylonians to destroy these people, that was a little bit too far for Habakkuk. Like, he knew, like, you know, when you've done something wrong, you're like, okay, I kind of deserve the consequences, like, you know, some kind of punishment, you know, maybe go to court in a, in a real setting. But God was kind of going a little bit too far by allowing people who were even worse than the Israelites to harm them. To destroy them. Like, what's with that? Like, you're allowing the really, really bad guys to hurt us. Like, huh? The Babylonians were much, much more evil than the people of Habakkuk. But Habakkuk basically says to God, and maybe you've said this before, I don't know. He says, I object, your honor. I object, objection, objection. And, and the language that's here that's written in the Hebrew, the original language it was written in, is judicial language. It's something that you would use in a lawyer setting or court setting, some kind of law setting. And Habakkuk, he says something like, God, uh, you know that I worship you. You know that I follow you. I honor you and I love you. But I'm kind of taking you to court to show that your actions are just going a little bit too far, that you're acting unfairly. 
And we may not say the same things because we don't have Babylonians that are about to invade us in, in that way. But today we, we say things similarly. We say things like, you know, I don't understand God. You could do something about this. Like, I believe you are sovereign. I believe that you're in control. But if I were you, I would do it this way. <laughs> Ever said that? I've said it. If I were you, I would do it this way. And that's the question that we're going to wrestle with today is that what do you do when God doesn't do it your way? What do you do when God maybe doesn't at all? And and last week we looked at this little chart. I'm going to put it up on the screen there. It's a chart that characterizes a lot of things in life. Maybe it's a stock market at times. I don't know. You can probably put your own label on that. And, And last week we looked at the life of faith, how this is kind of an illustration of the life of faith. And I would even dare say, you know, it kind of has that up trajectory. I think it's like a roller coaster, right? You go to Hershey Park. That's what your life kind of looks like spiritually. Uh, well, at times we have this kind of spiritual adrenaline rush. Things are going great, right? You pray, the prayer is answered. You know, you're blessed. The parking spot is right in front of Trader Joe's. And you're like, yes. And there's even a cart there, like perched on the side. And you're like, yes, bingo, right? Green lights all the way. All good. The kids, they slept the whole night. Oh my gosh. The grandkids, they're behaving themselves. Like, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. All the things I pray for, I'm receiving, right? Work, I'm getting a promotion. Or, hey, you know what? I just got my refund. Oh my gosh, all these things are going well. But then at some point, things change, right? That they change. That maybe you don't get the answers that you prayed for, and you're kind of like, what's going on, right? You, you struggle. Maybe, maybe there's things that you've been wrestling with in your past. Uh, maybe there's some addiction that, that come, seems to like come back with a vengeance. And you feel like enslaved again. You're like, like, what's with that? Your kids, the kids are going crazy. They're making poor choices. They're, they're doing all kinds of stuff. And you're like, I've been praying, God. Like, you were answering it before. Why weren't you doing anything now? Or maybe even look around at the world. And you see such violence and hate and injustice going on. And you're like, God, why don't you do something? Like, I would do things differently. And, of course, our reaction at this kind of dip in the graph, is usually one of two things, but, uh, is that we pretend that it's not happening. We kind of go put the blinders on, we put our head in the sand, and act like things are normal. You know, the, you're, you know the marriage is kind of going rocky, but you're like, okay, we're just like, going to act like everything's fine, or hey, we're not going to address, you know, I, I'm kind of being pulled back into this addictive behavior, and I'm just going to kind of act like things are okay. We, or we try to like return to the past, to the things that have comforted us in the past, or we just say, forget it all, right? You say, I messed up. It's going nuts, just the heck with it. Like, I I just give up on it all. God, maybe you're not there anymore. Maybe you don't care about me. Maybe there's nothing that's going to happen. But last week, we talked about this third way, this third way, looking at Habakkuk's name itself, meaning to embrace and to wrestle, like doing both at the same time when it comes to life, but also when it comes to faith that we can both embrace and wrestle. It's not an either or, but it's a both and. And what's interesting is if you look very closely at those who we would consider to have a mature faith, have a very, very deep relationship with God. Maybe you know someone like this. Maybe it's a grandparent or someone in this church 
three specific things that I think chapter 2 of Habakkuk um, talks about, what Habakkuk addresses in here. And, and just to set the story, so Habakkuk at this point has just learned that God is going to allow the Babylonians to destroy his people. And he was using the Babylonians to destroy his people, and Habakkuk's kind of like the deer in the headlights, like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And here is what Habakkuk says is his plan in response to what God has said to him. So Habakkuk chapter 2 starts out. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. And the translation says, I will get in my watchtower. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation. And make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. So what do you do when God doesn't? Well, I think the first thing comes in the first verse. Get in the watchtower. When God's not responding how you would like, when it seems like there's radio silence on the other end, it's time to get in the watchtower. And and if you look at what Habakkuk did, basically, he's saying, like, God, I don't like this. Like, I don't like that this is going to happen, what you're saying. He's complaining to God. He's saying, I need answers. But, But he says, I'm going to climb up and look to see what God will, what? What God will say to me. I'm going to get up high and wait and see what God will say to me. So I want to ask you, just answer this by yourself. You don't have to answer this aloud, but what is God saying to you right now? Has God been speaking to you at all in any way? Have you been listening to God at all? Or do our prayers mainly go one direction, like unidirection, like where too often I catch myself do it like, I'm like whining and complaining. I'm like, I'm not stopping to listen, to pause. And sometimes I think it's kind of like we need an attitude, but we also need an altitude change. We need to be able to get up high out of our situation, what's on the ground. That's why like sometimes retreats or even vacations, if you use them in the right way, they can be very inspiring experiences where you just kind of gain perspective on what's going on and what you've been, been looking at. It kind of changes your hearing. It changes what you see. And the beautiful thing, though, the beautiful thing about God is that we have a relational God. Like, like today we were talking about God as a heavenly father. You know, God is, is not male. God is male, female. God is beyond what we can imagine. But God is a relational God. That's why we characterize God in relational language. God desires to speak to us. And, and I was thinking about this, like, but wouldn't it be great, though? Wouldn't it be great if God were more like Google? Like, I was thinking this. Wouldn't it be great if God were more like Google? Because when I start, like, typing in my phone or on my computer, Google knows what I ask before I finish. Like, he finishes, like, what I want to say. Sometimes it's wrong, but other times it's not. And it also, if you've ever Googled yourself... Google knows a lot about you. Like, there's things that that come up there. But but what's cool about Google is that Google anticipates what you need to know and then spits it out and gives you, like, like whatever, two million answers and two million sites that you can have. 
If you have an Alexa, Alexa actually lights up when you ask a question. Isn't that wonderful? And then spits out what the answer is, whether it's the temperature or who won the game yesterday. And rarely, but rarely does God do that, right? Like, we want to, like, let God, like, you know, give us the, the multi-websites to find the answer. And, and sometimes we, we ask God, like, to, you know, can you finish what, what I'm asking? Like, you should know all this, but then we still get silence. But, but I believe that sometimes God does answer in that way. But the question is, are we actually listening for it? Are we listening? Are we listening? Uh, this is just a little bonus um, side note. Do you know that how you listen to people is correlated to how you listen to God? So how you listen to people, if you're one that, if you're sitting talking to somebody and you're finishing in your head, like, what you're going to say next while the other person's talking, or maybe you've been caught time after time, like, somebody just said that, and you kind of off in your own world, that's often correlated to how we listen to God, like, how distracted we are, or we're not paying attention and then we wonder, like, well, God doesn't speak to me, right? Well, maybe we're just coming up with our own, our own answers here. Maybe it's meaning practicing listening and saying nothing. But the question I get a lot as a pastor, of course, is, well, how does God speak? How does God speak? God speaks in all sorts of ways. Often, most often, through his word. You know, and I would say that that's the most important piece here, is that through his word and this is what we do, right? It's like, you know, you haven't picked this up in a long time or on your phone. And what do you do? You like, you need a word from the Lord. And what do you do? The flip, right? And you're like, okay, here. And then you're like, okay, Lord, that's about circumcision and having to go forward. I, let's try that again. Like, it's like the Bible lotto. Ready? Stop. Okay. The evil strife long wrongdoers lurk. I should watch my steps while they wait to take my life. That's inspiring, is it not? Right? It's not the Bible lottery. It's, it's getting into God's word on a regular basis. I can't tell you how many times, like, so I do this, like, Bible in a year thing, and I also, like, read a little devotional book. Um, I listen to the Bible in a year, by the way, often when I'm driving. Um, I can't tell you how many times there's, like, I hear something twice, or I hear something maybe three times. But it's because I'm kind of immersed in it on a regular basis, not the just, I'm going to flip and open this. You know, maybe God does speak through those kind of times, but, but it's kind of a regular basis of a regular activity, just like we eat and drink, like a regular diet of Scripture. It doesn't have to be a whole lot. It may be for two minutes, you know, reading something, checking out your phone, you know, doing some kind of devotion along with it but allowing the scripture to speak to you. or taking even, say, this book of Habakkuk that we're going through. Like, okay, I'm just going to read that once or twice this week. It's super short. Just take, you know, a couple minutes on my break or before the kids go to bed through his word. But also God speaks through circumstances. Through circumstances. You ever have a rerun in life? What I'm talking about is, you like been there before? Like the same thing is happening again. There's like a pattern that kind of comes around through, you know. Pay attention. Pay attention. Maybe God is revealing something. Maybe there's been something that you haven't necessarily dealt with. Maybe, maybe it's an opportunity, a circumstance in life, something that has opened the doors. Or maybe it's a closed door. Like God works through those circumstances. And I would first say these things are all undergirded by prayer, by the way. Your alone time, getting alone with God and, and talking to God. But then also God speaks through other people. 
believe it or not, in Scripture tells us that he speaks through donkeys. But more often, he speaks through wise and godly people. Having wise and godly people in our lives is so important. That's why we do, like, table groups here at Table Life Church. Like, we need each other. We need other. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've gone to, to mentors and people I know that are, that are uh, several miles further down the road spiritually to go to and either ask for advice or even just simply to say, hey, can you just be in prayer for me? Can you be in prayer and, and help, help me discern maybe a new direction or I, I don't feel like God is responding here? And I would also add to this, though, the kind of impressions that we get through prayer, too, from the Holy Spirit. If we fully believe that the Holy Spirit is present among us, that Jesus, we talked about a couple weeks ago at Pentecost, like Jesus has left the building, but guess who he gave? The Holy Spirit to be among us and in us and through us is those kinds of impressions. But these things are confirmed together. They come together to listen, to allow us to listen and, and to guide us. But here's the deal. If you listen, you get kind of in that watchtower If you listen, you may not like what he says. You may not like what he says. It might not be a confirmation or an affirmation. It may be a correction. There may be something that you don't like. And Habakkuk, he doesn't like what God is saying to him. I think that kind of talks to us today, right? There's times when God is speaking and we're not going to like it. Habakkuk's not going to get what he wants in this story because fast forward, they do get conquered by the Babylonians. Like, this does not have a super happy ending. But I think we need to ask ourselves, too, are we okay if we don't get what we want all the time? Are we okay if God's answer is not what we would really prefer? Or are we just going to quit the whole thing together when he doesn't respond the way that we want to? See, in the New Testament, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he talks about this through, through several chapters. He talks about this thorn in his side or in his flesh, and we never quite know what this thorn is. It's, it's maybe a physical abnormality or something he was wrestling with, or it could have been even depression. We don't know, and he tells us he prayed and prayed and prayed for, and prayed for this thing to go away, but God did not take it away. This is the Apostle Paul like a guy whose life was radically changed by Jesus and goes on to plant all these churches around the world and God didn't answer his prayer the way he wanted. Think about that. But first, we have to listen. We have to get in our watchtower to gain that perspective and that listening space. But the second thing that that Habakkuk reveals to us is that we also need to write it down. Write it down. Habakkuk says, Where are you, God? What's going on? And the Lord replies, Habakkuk, write down the revelation. Write down what you see. Write down what you're experiencing. You know, why does God want us to write down what we're seeing, sensing, experiencing, questioning? Why why would God want to write us down? Well, I think the answer goes along the lines. Have you ever had a list in your head going to the grocery store? It was in your head. You knew it. Like, maybe your spouse called you 10 minutes before. It's like, hey, we need this, this, and this. And maybe it was like three items, right? But then you walk into Target, and how many items do you come out with? Like a whole cart, right? And how many of those three items that you were supposed to get did you actually get? Zero, maybe one if you're lucky, right? We need to write it down. 
I can't tell you how many times that I'm like, okay, I just need to make a mental, I'm going to make a mental note of it, like, not a good idea. Make a mental note, and I should just, like, put it in my phone or write it down. Write it down because we need to remember. Or how many times have you had a dream, right? A dream or maybe a nightmare, but maybe a really, really good dream, or maybe you just felt like maybe God was talking to you in that dream. It was a funky dream. It was very vivid. And you're like, oh, I'm going to remember that. And what happened, like, 10 minutes after you get your coffee? You're like, I think there was something about sheep, right? Like, that's all I can remember. There were, like, sheep in it. And then by noon, you're like, I, there was some animal, right? You're just like, it kind of goes away. You know, God's saying record it. Record it. Record, you know, those impressions, thoughts, feelings, the things that you're observing. Record it because we forget so easily. We forget it. God may show you something. He may show you something that maybe a week later is going to hit home. And, and, and so I know when I write something down, I, I personally journal. That's always a good practice. I journal, and I've had this journal actually going. I was thinking about this the other day. Probably, I think, about like 15 years now. It has like several thousand pages. It's a Word document. It has like several thousand pages. But, um, I, and I have to say, like, I'm horrible at it. Like, I don't do it every day, maybe like once a week. And I just kind of go through and jot down some things, you know, to just type in there. But I can't tell you how many times that journal has become a spiritual anchor for me. To look back and to see God's faithfulness. To look back and to discover the ways that and the patterns that even in the last like maybe month, two months, year, that I can look back and these things have come together and been tied together. And I have to say, maybe you're not a writer or a journal, but it doesn't have to be a novel. Maybe you just have something, a document on your phone. There's lots of great apps for that. Then maybe you just jot down like two things maybe. Two bullet points to say, you know what, I prayed about this and I saw this. Or, hey, I'm sensing this today. Or somebody said this to me and I don't know why it's kind of like sticking in my head. Like to write it down. Listen and write. But the third thing is to wait on it. To wait on it. And I think in the last like six months, this is like the third sermon that has to do with waiting. So there's somebody here that needs to wait. Okay, there's somebody here that is having problems with this and needs to hear it again, so we're going to talk about that. I'm talking to myself here, too. Um, but but isn't, it, isn't it awkward, like, to have to wait? I mean, like, I'm a very action-oriented person. Like, I don't like waiting for things. I'm going to make things happen. Like, I have in my mind a picture of what things should look like. I'm going to jump into it. But look at what, look what God says to Habakkuk in verse 3. He says, for the revelation, it awaits a what? What does it await? An appointed time. An appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. And then he continues, though it linger, what should, what, what should we do? Wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. And I think of it this kind of like linger. Though it linger, it's not like here yet, you know, a couple months back we had that like really, really dense fog in this area. It was kind of like lingering around. Like it wasn't quite like raining or wet or cloudy, but it wasn't sunny either. You know, we have to realize that God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. And the truth is we mess things up when we don't wait when we don't wait, when we make things, try to make things happen on our own. And through scripture, we see time and time again how God makes promises and then he allows people, he allows his people to wait 
Moses. Moses was told he was going to deliver people. And then what happened? He went on a 40-year desert tour. 40 years, right? Joseph, we preached about him at the beginning of this this new year. Um, Joseph was going to be this great leader. He had this dream that he was going to have his brothers bow down to him. He was going to save his people. And guess what? 25 years later, 25 years later, it takes till he's in charge of Egypt and saves the day. But in that time, in that time, God grew their trust. God drew their trust. And you know what? Trust doesn't happen overnight. I know that. Even Drake says trust takes time. You can say I quoted Drake. All the like, younger people are like giggling right now. So if you don't know who Drake is, just move on. Um, so a lot of people... <laughs> A lot of people think that waiting means being stuck, right? That there's no movement, that I just sit, twiddle my thumbs. But think about what does a waiter do? You're going out to eat for Father's Day lunch or you're going out to eat tomorrow night, whatever. What does the best waiter do? Serves. Think about that. The best waiter serves or waitress serves, right? When we're waiting, We don't wait to be served, but we take action to serve while we're waiting. We don't sit back and twiddle our thumbs and, you know, wait until the cows come home, but we're active. And actually, there may be more movement than when we're waiting than ever before. And the word that Habakkuk uses here, the Hebrew word that is translated appointed time in our English, is called moed. Moed. Can you guys say that with me? Moed. Moed. It means appointment or in a fixed time. And he's saying, at the moed, it's coming. And, and the kind of common connotation is here. Think about a, a woman who is pregnant and she's at nine months and she's in an elevator and her water breaks. And guess what? You're there. And guess what? The baby's coming. Not going to wait. Like this is the appointed time. There's nothing you can do. You can't speed it up. You can't slow it down. This is the time that this is going to happen. Not necessarily our time or my time. It's kind of like if, if you have kids or grandkids or you remember growing up and before Christmas time, uh, you know, you got, uh, the parents get all the presents ready and get them wrapped and have to store them somewhere. And, and a friend of mine, it was in this closet and she knew exactly, she was like 10 years old, we were like 10 years old or so, and she knew that the door was shut, but that was where the presents were. And her mom kept telling her, like, it wasn't like a lockable door for some reason, that you need to stay out. Why? Because you're not ready. You're not ready. It's not the appointed time. Christmas Day is the appointed time to open the presents. But you're, it's not ready. It's not the appointed time for this. And sometimes we think that you know, God is being cruel to us by making us wait. But maybe God is getting something ready inside of you. God needs to get something ready inside of you. Uh, Sometimes the right thing can become the wrong thing because it's the wrong time. It's like if you've ever taken a cake out of the oven way too early. It will be a wonderful, beautiful birthday cake or anniversary cake. It's like doughy and people, if they're taking a slice, they're like spitting in the napkins because it's just not ready. But if you would have waited that extra 10 minutes, it would have been. It would have been. And you want to know how long Habakkuk waited? He waited a while. He actually had to wait until the next generation. Because the Babylonians do come in. 
and conquer his people. And, and there's different traditions that talk about what happened to him. Some say that he was imprisoned or sent away. But it took a while for God's promises to come to fruition. And I think we hear that many times in our own kind of like modern day culture. Uh, and, and over the years and centuries that would pass between Habakkuk and, and today... I love what Martin Luther, the reformer, said. He said, even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. Interesting, huh? Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. It's not about whether we see it or not. See, here's how the Living Bible translates uh, these verses that we just read before. Uh, He says, these things I plan, God says that they won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when division will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, don't despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just wait and be patient. They won't be overdue a single day. God's basically saying, Habakkuk, do this. Get in your watchtower. I'm going to speak to you. Then take notes. Write it down. Write it down so you don't forget, so later on you can remember. But then I need you to wait on it, to serve while you're waiting, to actively wait. And God anticipates Habakkuk's objection about the Babylonians. And God goes on to say, he says, see, though, the enemy is puffed up. Like, yes, he's basically saying, these guys are corrupt. These guys are terrible. There's lots of bad stuff going on. He says, the enemy's puffed up. His desires are not upright. Not doing this to bless them in any way. But the righteous person will live by what? His faithfulness. Live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He's arrogant and never at rest because he's greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives all the people. And we're not going to go through these verses, but then God speaks directly to the Babylonians in verses 6 through 19 and says basically like, yeah, these guys have a lot of stuff going on. And he says, woe to those who are thieves, who are cheaters and deceivers and violent Woe to the partiers who try to get other people drunk in order to take advantage of them. Maybe you know somebody like that. Woe to the idolaters. Woe to him who says to wood or objects, come to life, you're going to fulfill me, you're going to satisfy me. But the key here is back in verse 4. Because God contrasts the puffed up to the righteous. The righteous. And what's the difference? Well, the puffed up live by themselves and live based on themselves, but the righteous live by faith. The righteous, they will be faithful. They'll be faithful. The key in our waiting and in our arguing with God is our faithfulness, is our faithfulness. And, and it's said that integrity is about what we do when no one's looking. Maybe you've heard that before. But I think faithfulness is about remaining true even when we don't get what we want. Faithful. Faithfulness is hard. It's hard in relationships. It's hard with God. It's easier to give it up and just throw it all away. But even when life looks like it's going backwards or not what we desire or doesn't make sense, even when others say, God's not going to come through for you, just go ahead and and do it, Habakkuk's comment on what God tells him speaks volumes. In verse 20, he says, "But, But the Lord... But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Three key words to remember. But the Lord. 
Do you have a but the Lord moment? Are you in a but the Lord moment? Saying, even though I understand, even though I don't like it, despite what may appear, God is still on the throne. And God's probably not finished. God's probably not finished. What do you do when God doesn't recognize God's probably not finished? So it's, that's the time to get in the watchtower, write it down, and wait on it. Because you know what God doesn't do? God doesn't, God never stops watching, working, and sustaining. And after Habakkuk, time would pass that God's people would be in a time of waiting for centuries, waiting for who they believe would be the Messiah to come to save them. And it took a while. It took a while. God was not finished, but yet God was at work through them and in those times. And Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus arrives as the one who embraces us and clings to us through the confusion and the disappointment that the world brings. But he also shows us that God has not forgotten. It's up to us. Will we be faithful? Will we be faithful in the meantime to say, God, my will, yes, but your will be done.